Welcome to the WPC Sermon Podcast from Westminster Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. This week's sermon is from Head Pastor Owen Stepp, titled, What Are We Doing on Sunday Morning? and is part of our sermon series, Questions for the Church. To find more information on our worship services and live stream, check out our website, westminstercharlotte.org. Now enjoy this week's message from Pastor Owen. Now hear the word of the Lord. It's a reading from Deuteronomy, chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. These are the statutes and ordinances that you must diligently observe in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to occupy all the days that you live on the earth. You must demolish completely all the places where the nations whom you are about to dispossess serve their gods, on the mountain heights, on the hills, and under every leafy tree. Break down their altars, smash their pillars, burn their sacred poles with fire, and hew down the idols of their gods, and thus blot out their name from their places. You shall not worship the Lord your God in such ways, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes as his habitation to put his name there. You shall go there, bringing there your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your donations, your votive gifts, your free will offerings, and the firstlings of your herds and flocks. And you shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your households together, rejoicing in all the undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we have heard your word read today. We ask for your Holy Spirit's presence and power to be upon us that we might hear your word of life and so be changed to be more like Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Do you believe in aliens? Like space people traveling around out there. I was thinking this week about worship, and I wondered what it would be like for a space person to travel here to earth on a Sunday morning, or even maybe just someone unacquainted with church. And they came here to a service of worship at 1030 at Westminster, and when that was over, they went down the road to another church, and then they went down the road to another church for a service, and they kept on going to different churches around the greater Charlotte region throughout the day on a Sunday. They might find some things that look and feel really different, right? They might find some things that don't look the same, from the smoke and laser shows of the big box churches to the certain museum quality in some more traditional churches exhibit, to the exuberant expression of the Pentecostals and the repetition of the ancient rites of the Orthodox Church. A stranger might well wonder what any of these things has to do with another. And yet, in the Christian tradition, we put it all under one heading, worship. What are we doing here? In these series of questions, I love that we had baptism this morning in the Bible school piece, because next week the question is going to be, are we keeping our promises? 
in helping families and children and students to be raised in the family of God. But today it is, what are we doing here on Sunday morning? The alien might be wondering. The non-Christian might be wondering why we would waste our time to go and sit and listen to a guy that's not that interesting talk. To get dressed on a Sunday morning when you don't even have to go to work, what are you doing? Worship. It has a varied identity within the Christian tradition. Even within our own tradition, the twin identities of evangelicalism and Presbyterianism come together. And I I feel at home within this stream of Christian faith for a couple of reasons. One, I grew up Presbyterian, and I do believe in the order that God gives us for worship. I do believe that there should be some tradition handed down from one generation to the other, or else we might forget where that tradition began in the first place, with the gospel. But I also share the evangelical sense that we should experience conversion in our lives and that we should actually, in worship, every once in a while, maybe we should feel something of the Holy Spirit's movement in our souls, something that maybe we can't exactly put words on, but there is a power of God at work. I've served in Presbyterian churches sometimes who haven't felt any emotion in worship except for boredom in decades. What is it about worship for us? Now let me put this out there, first of all, in understanding that worship is about more than what happens in an hour here on Sunday. It's about our whole lives. Worship in the broad sense of the term is about giving thanks and praise to God for who God is and what God has done. But this morning in particular, we're talking about Lord's Day worship. We're talking about Sunday morning for us, the Sabbath day, and lifting up praise and worship to God. To me, this is the moment, this is the hour that informs and empowers all those other moments and hours of our lives that they might be worshiped. The service of worship is the epicenter of our lives, out of which the shockwaves emanate to really be changed, not only on Sunday morning, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, wherever it is that God has us in those places. This is the hour from which those other hours are empowered. Our passage from Deuteronomy this morning gives us some clues about what God's idea of worship looked like for His people as they entered the promised land. And the first thing to pay attention to in this is what has gone on before. Deuteronomy is called a boundary document by some scholars. Why do they call it that? Because this was the time when they had come to the very border of the promised land. They're about to cross over and go in. And Moses knows that he's not going with them. He's going to die. So most of the book of Deuteronomy is a farewell address given by Moses to his people. But having wandered in those wilderness woods for 40 years, they had arrived now and they could see the promised land that they had only had in their imagination before. But underlying all of that is the reality that they had already experienced the grace of God in salvation. They had already been delivered and freed by God. 
God had already chosen them to be his people, and he had liberated them and saved them and rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Worship begins with God. Worship begins with an understanding of who God is, God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and of what he has done for us, his people. Worship begins with God that gives a heart of gratitude toward those who are his children, understanding that God is the one who extends grace and mercy to those who in no way deserve it. That God loves us because God loves us. That's what the gospel is. It's about God. It's not about us. It's for us. Tim Keller says the gospel is that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet we are at the same time more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. The awe that fills us when we start to understand, start to understand who God is and what God has done in his grace for us is the beginning of worship. Worship begins with an experience of the grace of God that changes us. Whether it was a young life camp or around the kitchen table or in a sanctuary or maybe in a bar, when we understand who God is and who that makes us, we're changed forever. It is only from that experience that we begin to exercise the gratitude that is worship when we offer it to God. Now, having experienced that grace, God calls on us to begin the work, to begin responding to that grace. For the Israelites, that had a very particular meaning as they entered the promised land. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 12 this morning about the idols and the temples and the sacred spaces. And what did God say about those places? They had to be down. They all had to be brought down. And whenever the Bible goes into like four or five emanations or evolutions about what has to happen, it's just increasing the degree to the point that when there are five pieces there, God wants them utterly destroyed. You must demolish completely all the places where the nations whom you're about to dispossess serve their gods. On the mountain heights, on the hills, and under every leafy tree. Break down their altars, smash their pillars, burn their sacred poles with fire, hew down the idols of their gods, and thus blot out their names from those places. You shall not worship the Lord your God in such ways. Sounds complete, doesn't it? Not a lot of wiggle room with what God was asking them to do. Now, before we get a note from the Diversity and Tolerance Commission this morning, let, let us understand who inhabited that land that the Israelites were going into. Many of these Canaanite tribes practiced religions that embraced human sacrifice and even child sacrifice. And when God is entering into his presence in that land, it had to be completely washed of that which had gone before. It would have been more convenient probably in some ways to keep the temples, right? To keep those altars, those high and holy places. They used to belong to other gods, but we could you know, give them a good, 
a new coat of paint. They'll be fine. God would like that. That was not what God commanded his people to do. To take out those idols, to remove them completely, to burn them, to remove their names from those places was what was required. So too, we have a step to take as we enter worship on a daily and a weekly basis and as a church family and as individuals too. We have idols that occupy the place of God in our lives. What? No, we came to, we're church people. We don't have idols. One of the facets of Westminster that I love so much is the diversity of church backgrounds that are represented in this church family. We've got people from Presbyterian backgrounds, sure. But there are Baptists and Episcopalians and Methodists, free church, Catholic, young life, no church background at all. We've got a lot of different backgrounds that are represented here in the sanctuary this morning, and that's good. We bring a diversity of backgrounds and expectations about particularly what worship looks like, about what the service on Sunday morning is supposed to be like. And that can be a challenge sometimes. While we are clear on what we believe and how we practice the things that we preach and pray together, sometimes the methods by which we incorporate other elements of worship cause strain and tension between people. And those in them of themselves can become idols, can they not? I don't like that song. That prayer is boring. I wish the preacher would dress differently. The band is too loud. The colors are all wrong. These are the kind of things that church people are famous for. Famous for majoring in. I do believe that the challenge of diversity is bringing together people of different backgrounds. And the challenge of that is because we all live in a wretchedly consumer world. A wretchedly broken consumer world. A world where we get what we want, when we want it, how we want it, right? I was thinking about this the other day when we were getting supper at Yafo. Anybody ever go to Yafo? I like that place. But they give you a bowl, right? And they ask you, well, what would you like as your base? And you have rice, and you have lettuce, and you have kale, and some other kind of kale, something. Great. They pass it down the line. And there is this trough of different toppings that you could put on it. Chipotle's the same way, right? But you get to pick each one that you want in there. Yeah, I like the red cabbage. Yeah, I, don't, I like the pickled vegetables. I like the, no, no, hold the grape leaves, please. Then you get your sauce. You've got a choice of like eight sauces. It's great. And then meats. You get to pick and choose exactly what you want for your meal. And we have that in all areas of our life almost today, right? That everything is customized from our playlists to our meal plans. Everything is customized to exactly what we want. And we bring that with us when we come to church, expecting the same. And when we don't get what we want at that restaurant or at that dealership, what do we do? We send it back. A pastor friend of mine in Richmond has a truly multicultural congregation in the middle of the city. 
and they have really diverse backgrounds that they're working with. And he says to his people quite frequently that probably nobody that's there will like more than about 80% of what goes on during their service on a Sunday morning. And that's okay. Because friends, I believe that these hours of worship when we're together for corporate worship on Sunday morning are about still being not only offering our praise to God, but being shaped and formed by God in a different way that stands counter to the culture that is around us. And maybe part of the function today of worship is to help us to learn that it is an important spiritual discipline to make room for others. It is a vital spiritual discipline in thinking about worship in the family of God that we make room for people who, whose 20% they don't like is different than our 20%. But to believe that being together as the family of God is more important than getting what I want. Do you hear me? It's a critical piece of understanding for us that worship is about being together and about lifting up God's holy name together, even if that comes in different forms from time to time. My friend is not trying to make his people miserable, but the reality is that there is a discipline of worship together that causes us to be different than the world around us. For these days when worship services can either look like a nightclub or a country club, what if it's about us being changed in the middle of it? What if it's about being different to the glory of God and in the image of Jesus? What if it's about, some, in some sense, giving up my right to get things the way I want it, in the time that I want it, in favor of allowing space and style by which God might reach somebody else in that church family, and even someone who does not know God. It's the spiritual discipline of setting our own desires aside in some ways, setting aside our own, let's call them idols, of style, so that others might be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Whether it's liturgy or music or attire or preaching style or the temperature of the room, what are the things that we need to confess as idols in our own lives and in our corporate life together? Idols that have been inhibiting our worship of the one true God. What lies underneath, underneath most of these is a profound misunderstanding of what worship is and who the audience is. The audience and the object of worship is not we who dwell in these pews on a Sunday morning. The audience of worship is the holy and almighty God of the universe, the God of all creation, the one who has loved us and called us his children. Worship is the offering that we bring to God in praise for who he is and gratitude for what God has done. Don't believe me? Did you hear the passage from John this morning? When Jesus was talking to that Samaritan woman at the well, 
And the Samaritans and the Jews had really good theological, liturgical conversation going on in those days. They didn't like each other at all. And they said, no, we worship on the right mountain. No, we worship on the right mountain. And Jesus said, day is coming. When you won't worship God on that mountain and you won't worship God on that mountain. You know, we have enough people <laughs> telling us what true, what real worship is, right? And they mean things that are all over the map. That's what the Samaritans and the Jews were doing at that time. Where do, where do you real, where's the true worship of God happen? On this mountain or on that one? To this tempo or that one? In this sanctuary or that one? And Jesus says, listen, folks, there's coming a day when none of this stuff is going to matter. But here's the thing. God, he says, this is what he discloses about God to this woman. God is seeking worshipers. Did you hear that he said that? God is seeking those worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. God is seeking them. In the Old Testament, this is manifest in the system of sacrifices, right? Where the grain and lambs and birds and all kinds of stuff are brought and actually physically laid on an altar and offered up to God. And in the New Testament, one of the ways this is manifest is Paul calls on us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God, to give ourselves up. Someone once said that the trouble with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar, right? You'll get it on the way home. <laughs> but if we offer up our lives, if we offer up all that we are to God in a sacrifice, that is what our act of worship is, as Paul says. And I believe part of that is laying down our agendas and our, and our desire to have things the way we want them all the time, in our time, to lay those aside as we enter worship in favor of being together and lifting up the name of the Lord. We are not those who come to be served, but rather to serve the Lord in worship. God is the audience, we are not. Think of it this way, because it really does change things in some, some sense. Do you ever imagine God in heaven looking down on a Sunday morning? And God looking down and saying, you know, that people are singing his praises. And God says, you know, that was pretty good. I, I, just, I just wish there was a guitar with it. <laughs> or... God looking down and hearing the praises of his people and said, that was fine. I just wish they played the organ. I just wish he preached differently. Whatever it might be, these things that we get caught up on, that we get hung up on, that impede our worship of God. We project our preferences onto God too often. Right? Things that we've come up doing that we've understood along the way, we say, well, that must be what God's like too. That's how we end up with idols. And as we unmask the idols and we tear down the holy places that weren't really holy to begin with, 
we begin to understand in a deeper level who is there, the God who is other, the God who is beyond anything we can ask, think, or imagine, and we can come in awe and worship. Now Moses gives the people in Deuteronomy, after he commanded them to clean out the country, he gives them an idea then, you've done the, the cleaning out work, now do the building up work. You've done the negative work, now do the positive work. He writes this, but you are to seek the place that the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go, obedience. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithe and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your freewill offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. What was worship that Moses was revealing from God but the people bringing their praise, bringing their physical offerings, their tithes, their offerings, their everything that they owned, making their vows and their promises in the place that God had called them to do so, bringing all those things in gratitude for God's salvation of their lives and of their people. That's what worship is. Lifting up a praise to God for who God is and in gratitude for what he has done for us. Very simply, that's what worship is, as it was for God's people in Deuteronomy. Now, forms of worship come in all kinds of flavors and colors. You can find plenty just in the greater Charlotte area, couldn't you? I've had the privilege of worshiping with a Maasai tribe in the Serengeti indigenous school children in the jungles of Brazil. The people of, of God lifting up their offerings of worship in Ghana, Northern Ireland, West Virginia, and New York City. And the ties that bind them all together are what we in the Presbyterian tradition, I believe, hold to be at the heart of worship. At the heart of worship in the Reformed tradition is the reading and the preaching and the hearing of the Word of God and the sacraments by which Jesus promised we would receive grace. And that's my part and Leslie's part as well as a pastor and preacher that we receive with a sense of humility and privilege. Bringing the word of God to the people of God is my sacrifice of worship to God. Some days it's better than others. But as I come to prepare a sermon and deliver it, it is an offering of worship to God. It's not a performance. It's not an, a lecture. It's an offering of worship to God. And the more that each of us find in worship what we are bringing to God, the greater our voices will be raised, the glory will be increased of the Lord our God. It is a sacred trust that we have to remember the ways of God that have gone before and to look forward to what God is doing and will do in the future. Worship is that for which we were created in the beginning. It's not a spectator sport. 
What happens here is not a concert, it's not a public speaking engagement, it's not a seminar, it's not a game, it's not a performance. At its heart, worship is the response of a soul that has been found by Almighty God. And so says thank you. Friends, we are in worship not to talk about God, but to talk to God and to hear from God. That is the scandalous reality. The crazy thing that we claim is that God speaks to us and that we can bring God joy and worship. May this hour be and become more and more the hour that fuels all those other hours of our lives. That the praise and the gratitude that we receive and offer to God in this hour might flow through the rest of our lives in praise and gratitude as well. And when we have torn down our idols, and when we have brought our sacrifices to God, the good news is we get a glimpse of heaven. For in Revelation chapter 7, we read that people from every tribe and tongue and nation sit around the throne of God, lifting up His name, worshiping Him, Worship is our work here, yes, but worship is also our destiny. It is what that to which we will be called for all of eternity, to the glory of God. Let us worship him. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and blessed God, it is humbling to even be the ones who speak your name. We pray that you would open our eyes to our blind spots, that you would reveal to us the idols that we hold, that we have projected onto you things that really belong to us. We confess those things, God. Every one of us has them. We pray as well that you would grow in us and cultivate in us the heart of worship that knows your presence and is changed by your Holy Spirit. We pray that even as we sing today as we go out, God, that you would find joy in our praise, that you would find joy in our worship, and that we might be called again and again to say thank you, thank you, thank you, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Pastor Owen. If you'd like to find out more about our church or view a video of the full service, visit our website, westminstercharlotte.org. We look forward to seeing you soon.